Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. I decided on this trip for three weeks, I just wasn't going to eat. I ate very little. I just, it was like a starvation diet. Just, I'm going to do this all at once. It'll be easy because my parents aren't watching me. Uh, No one's watching me, really. Mm -hmm. And I came back from that trip having lost 20 pounds. And the amount of praise and attention I got having lost that weight by not, not just kids at school, but my friends and family, I was like, this is it. Mm-hmm. Like I have found my calling and I learned the ways of first, you know, anorexia later, later bulimia of how to achieve the best of both worlds. I could eat anything I wanted and I can still be thin. Uh, so I start off, you know, the eating disorder conversation here first, because I know, you know, you've had uh, struggles with eating disorders as well. I have. Uh, But also because I think for me, I do have kind of an all or nothing mindset. So bulimia was like the perfect solution for me. And when I decided I was going to get better with my bulimia, I did wind up transitioning to alcohol. Hey, senorita, really nice to meet you. This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's Celeste Vaughn. She's a writer, a mom of two, and she's five years alcohol-free. I found her on Instagram. She's the ultimate mom challenge, and I love her vibe. I've been shamed by some sober mom accounts. They don't like me to tag them in things, even though I'm sober curious. But Celeste is here today to have the conversation. She used to run marathons. You know, she realized when she became a mom that drinking wasn't really serving her anymore. And I so relate to that. I want to talk about her story, how she stopped her new book. It's not about the wine is available for pre-order now. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe. Give me some stars wherever you're listening to this. And please consider leaving me a review for Squats and Margaritas on Apple Podcasts. Here is my episode with Celeste Yvonne. I mentioned in the intro that I really respect you for taking me up on this opportunity. Some sober mom accounts shame me. Um, I don't think they like my name (laughs) very much. And they block me and they tell me not to uh, tag them. And that just because I'm not sober, I shouldn't be pushing other moms to not be sober. And that's actually the opposite of what I'm doing. Like I'm sharing my sober curious journey to kind of inspire another mom Mm -hmm. to feel seen. So I appreciate you being here. We have a ton in common. I mean, down to the fact that we both have two kids. We had our first at 34 later in life. Like you used to run marathons, a lot of things, but I wanted you to start just with your story and I've heard you on a lot of podcasts, just your story since becoming a mom. I want to okay. start growing up like, okay, because we have a lot in common. I'm wondering if there was a lot of perfectionist tendencies. Um, I know that your dad was an alcoholic. Can we start kind of growing up? Start your story there. Celeste in childhood. 
Here we go. Um, <clears throat> yes. Uh, so I grew up in the Bay Area, um, born and raised, and uh, my father was an alcoholic my whole life. Um, I I think, you know, my challenges started young around food. And I think that I, I heard this new term. It's called almond mom. Oh, Have you heard of the almond mom? No. Am I one? It's like Bella Hadid's mom, you know, who counts almonds yes. and tells her daughters how many almonds they can have. Mm. Um, I grew up with a mom who was always on a diet. She was Same. always talking about um, how overweight she was and how much weight she needed to lose. And now she's on Weight Watchers and now she's on Jenny Craig. And so I grew up around that. Um, I remember my first diet was fifth grade. I joined my mom uh, in Weight Watchers and I learned the point system. And uh, I, I, I was on the heavier side in childhood, but I was also very athletic. And uh, when I was probably 10 or 11, you know, my passion was gymnastics, but my gymnastics coach on a recreational leave league, mind you, this was not competitive by any means told me I was too fat for gymnastics. And I think, uh, all these put together really lit a fuse in me that the key to happiness was being thin. Yep. Um, and that was all I needed to achieve my dreams. So, you know, going into high school, um, I went to Spain on a exchange through an exchange program. And I decided on this trip for three weeks, I just wasn't going to eat. Uh, I ate very little. I just, it was like a starvation diet. Just, I'm going to do this all at once. It'll be easy because my parents aren't watching me. Uh, no one's watching me, really. Mm -hmm. And I came back from that trip uh, having lost 20 pounds. Wow. And the amount of praise and attention I got having lost that weight by not, not just kids at school, but my friends and family I was like, this is it. Like mm -hmm. I have found my calling and I learned the ways of, um, first, you know, anorexia later, later bulimia, um, of how to achieve the best of both worlds. I could eat anything I wanted and, um, I can still be thin. Uh, so, you know, I, I start off, you know, the eating disorder, conversation here first, cause I know, you know, you've had uh, struggles with eating disorders as well. I have, uh, but also because I think for me, I do have kind of an all or nothing mindset. So bulimia was like the perfect solution for me. Uh, and when I decided I was going to get better with my bulimia, I did wind up transitioning to alcohol, uh, and I think in a lot of ways, my focus through high school, college, even in my early 20s on my bulimia kept me from developing an alcohol problem earlier, um, earlier uh, you know, for better or worse. <laughs> Celeste, I didn't even know that. We literally are the same. Like mom, <laughs> mom on a diet, anorexia, bulimia. Yeah like I couldn't stop. And I, I thought thin was like winning. Like th if I yes. was thin, thin trumped all. 
soccer um, was everything. It was life. I ended up playing in college, but thin equated like fit for soccer. So it was the same thing. You got praised. It's like, oh my God, look how thin you are. And it's like, you keep going. And I, that's why I wanted to start there. And I didn't even know because I see accounts and you probably had the thought because I'm learning that like squats and margaritas, like women or Beth Farrako. I know you did her podcast. She did Mm -hmm. mine. She was like, I would go and like work out all day. And I'd be like shunning my husband. Like you just had a Coke or you just ate a donut. Like I eat clean. And she's like, and then I'd eat drink two bottles of wine. (laughs) She's like, and I was like, this isn't healthy. Like, but a lot of women, it's like you're fit and your vice. Maybe you struggled with eating disorders, but now your vice is alcohol and there were accounts before I started my sober curious journey that were saying that to me. And I was so defensive and they're like, you're, mm-hmm. you're trading one addiction for another. And I was like, I am not addicted to alcohol. Like I was equating it to like, when you say your dad was an alcoholic and you thought if I'm not that I'm good. Yeah. And I exactly. guess I was thinking I'm not throwing up my food or abusing my body. And I know what that looks like. So I am fine like that. I'm not yeah. doing anything like that, but I think in the pandemic, which I know you were already sober in the pandemic, I yeah. went down. Like, I think it took a lot of moms down and yeah. I, that was my vice. And like, we can get into mommy wine culture. It was so, um, like appropriate. And everybody, I found TikTok during that time. I was doing all the drunk mom. We need to drink because we're home with our kids and that's what you do to cope. And I realized that the pandemic was over and the world opened back up and I was still drinking every day. You're still down that rabbit hole. Yeah. So many moms got stuck, uh, especially during the pandemic. So I am one of the founding hosts of Sober Mom Squad. And the Sober Mom Squad was founded at the start of the pandemic. Wow. uh, Because so many women went there. Um, You know, I read a tweet that said, I don't know who needs to hear this, but pandemic rules are airport rules. You can drink whatever the hell you want. And I think that's really the mindset a lot of people went into in the pandemic with quarantinis and um, drinking, um, drinking any time of the day. That's, that was the message. And, and I because, was appropriating it and I admit it and I well, hate it now. I was, I was drunk mom on TikTok cause it was getting, <laughs> I was, and I hate that now. <laughs> like, like I was making, I was feeding into it. And I thought that's what you did. Everybody was home with their kids. I had a two and a four-year-old during the pandemic. So we drink and now like, just like the self-reflection that I've done in the last couple of years, like I don't even associate with that anymore. Like I've had such a, just like personal growth, spiritual growth, self-reflection time that I, I am embarrassed to even say I was doing those before. I love that you're reflecting on this. I, I, I will tell you, no question. I would have done the exact same thing if I hadn't already been two years sober when the pandemic hit. And I think a lot of the reason why we started the Sober Mom Squad or Emily Paulson started the Sober Mom Squad was because we were afraid. We were mm-hmm. susceptible. You know, um, a lot of the recovery meetings disappeared overnight. Uh, and we were all fending for ourselves while this message was being uh, thrown at us that, you know, mm-hmm. quarantini. And also somebody has to homeschool your kids now. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> going to be you, mom. So it was a really hard time for so many. And I know a lot of women who um, fell down that rabbit hole during the pandemic and for good reason. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. 
Now back to squats and margaritas. I know you didn't have like a rock bottom moment, but you have what you call a call, your call to action moment. Can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, I, I like to say uh, I had convincing moments leading up to my day one for years in advance. And they were little things that I can now look back on and see that they were actually very telling. Uh, you know, whether it be waking up hungover, not being able to do something I promised my kids we would do, or yeah. whether it was, um, I had a, I went to church one day and I felt called to write a prayer request and I wrote in it, you know, I'm sabotaging everything good in my life. And that's all I wrote. And I didn't even know exactly what I was saying, but now I can look back and be like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, so there's a lot of convincing moments to get me to, you know, what was ultimately my day one, which was, uh, I was, it was a Monday. I had the Sunday scaries the night before after three days of holiday drinking the week before Christmas, Monday morning, went into work, got in front of my computer and I had a panic attack. Um, and I sincerely thought I was having a stroke. And, you know, at the time I was only 38 years old and having a stroke at 38 is very rare. Uh, but my father, who was a alcoholic my entire life, he had a stroke at 52 and I saw his entire life just crumble uh, from there and out. And um, so that's immediately where my head went. And I did have this come to Jesus moment where I was like, is this what I want? Because even if that's not what's happening now, this is the direction I'm going. And um, I, I realized it wasn't worth it. I realized I, I needed to make a huge change if I was going to still be around, you know, in the next 20, 30, 40 years for my children um, who needed me. And so that really was my wake up call. Um, and that was a little over five years ago. And you were a mom. Can you talk about what was your drinking situation like before becoming a mom? Yeah. You know, I, I was definitely a high risk drinker. Um, I could easily drink a bottle of wine a night and I, I differ from you. I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts in that you can drink one glass and be like, I'm good. I could drink a glass, but I never wanted to, but what? I can't not drink a glass. I can't. Yeah. That's my, my problem. Like I can, so dry January, I can't do it. And that's like, Oh my yeah. God, you're an alcoholic. But, and I say, I drink every day, but my sisters are like, stop saying you drink every day. They like laugh at me. They're like, you have a drink. You have a glass of wine with right. dinner, but I can't not Celeste. Like I've made it such a, I feel like I'm being, um, I definitely feel deprived if I don't have a glass of wine or a beer with my meal. I know now that it's like a pairing and I feel yeah. like, but I can stop. And I was promoting that, like have your cocktail. Mm -hmm. Don't have to, don't have three is what I would say. Get your workout sure. in. It's just balance. Don't live with deprivation because I live with deprivation for so long. And talking to Annie Grace, she was like, you have a responsibility having this platform to not like you can moderate, but she's like, Aaron, that is so rare. And I didn't know that she's mm -hmm. like, most people can't do have one or two, what you're saying. So because you can do that doesn't mean that you should be appropriating that message. Promoting now. And I was like, I felt, I was like, Oh my God, I didn't realize it was that rare. And then I think about it now when we're out places, I always say when we get the bill and people like I watch 
binge drink. I don't binge drink. And I watch like if we're out at a, uh, going to a bar, a bar to watch a game, it's like three hours. I will have a beer like with my wings and then maybe another beer if it's three hours. And I yeah. watch as soon as people's glass and they'll drink like vodka soda, like big drinks, big girl drinks. As soon as it's gone, it's, it's like you get another one, you get another one. Cause it's empty. I don't have that mindset. And then the bill comes and I'm like, I had a beer and people had seven drinks and I'm not going to be like, um, excuse me. I only had one. So I'm always just like, Whoa, I don't realize yeah. it is rare. So, but I can't not have it. I can't do a dry January because I wouldn't like, that's why I feel, I don't want to have a problem where I need to have a glass of wine. And that is truly where I'm. Yeah. You know, I am not a, you know, therapist or psychologist or anything. I think hearing that just coming from my own background, it's that fear of deprivation. Yes. What that, that was facilitated from eating disorder days, yes. you know, a, a life of deprivation. That's what, and I then bulimia, want. which is the opposite of deprivation. It is overindulgence. Um, and yes. then holding yourself up in front of a toilet. Uh, mm -hmm. so, um, I, when I hear that, that's where my head immediately goes back to is kind of, uh, the younger years of all the trauma for lack of a better word that comes with it, with a long-term eating disorder. Yeah. So it's depriving. I will never, if something yeah. is off limits, it makes it more tempting. And it's like, yeah, what I used to do was like, I would have my w drinking nights and I would eat clean during the week and then drink all the wine on Saturday or Sunday because Monday wasn't a drinking day. And there were all these rules and it like, yeah. I could, I would have wine in my fridge and I'm like, I have to drink it because tomorrow I can't the way I live now. And again, it's, going to be, that's going to sound like I still have an eating disorder. It's, I have been able to maintain my weight, enjoying my life, like having the wine. So like my message was to the woman mm -hmm. who is me barely eating and this is off limits. And then you're pissed off all the time and feeling deprived. Nothing is off limits. If you need a glass of wine, you want to have a glass of wine, have it because after a couple of days of not having it, you're going to have a bottle. So it's like allowed. Mm -hmm. My message was allow the indulgences work out, not every day and just let go of all the stress and squats and margaritas was that balanced lifestyle. But yeah, I still stand by balance and not being like, I don't think I could say I'm sober, but I can say I drink so much less. Like I'm not sober because I have a glass of wine and I'm still holding on to that. And, but I also know that it's taking up a lot of headspace to think about, Oh my God, you still had another glass of wine. Like I wish I could just, not drink at all, but I'm not there yet, but I am drinking significantly less than anyone that I know in my life. And it's progress. And like, it's sober curiosity. Like people, yeah. I put that on my, uh, reels and stuff now and people are like, you're sober. And I'm like, no, I sober curious is like, you're looking at, you're looking at it. Like when you pour a glass of wine, you're thinking like, why am I doing this? And you're kind of like assessing why you're not sober, but I could see myself getting there. And I hope that another mom that follows me that is thinking the same way. Like I've had conversations recently with women. They're like, yeah, we, I, like I talk about this, like I, I shouldn't be having this wine. And it's like there's shame around it. And mm -hmm. if you say it out loud, then you have a problem because you're even thinking of it. And you talk about gray area drinking. That is me. Like, I know I'm not an yeah. alcoholic, but I am still drinking and I don't know. I'm frustrated and have shame around the fact that I can't not have my wine or have my beer with tacos or chicken wings. I, I, right. And then you're, you're hitting yourself, yes. you know, over and over. Cause you're like, 
but this is, but I'm doing it responsibly and I'm yes. trying to be balanced yes. and, um, and exactly. moms have enough shame and guilt, you know, exactly. it's like, and I love, this is a good transition. Thank you for saying when you started your sobriety, first of all, you didn't even tell anyone you made a post that was like, Oh, I'm sober for one year. And people were like, what the hell? I mean, yeah. <laughs> but you said at the beginning you were white knuckling it. And I was like, Oh, thank you for saying that. Like, I feel like other people just make just, I stopped drinking and my life got so much better. And I think it would be so hard for me. And you admitted that it was like, for how long were you white knuckling it? More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this, now back to squats and margaritas. I did not see the benefits of being sober for probably the first five months. And what, and what I mean by that is, and what we mean by white knuckling is I didn't do any of the work. And what I know now, you know, is the work is doing recovery work, learning why I was drinking in the first place, learning how it was affecting me and learning ways to self-regulate with healthier coping skills. So once I started to learn about that part, mm -hmm. the, the sobriety uh, and being dry made more sense and I could find some satisfaction and peace of mind in it. Uh, but those early months was me just doing anything I can to avoid drinking. And it took up my entire mindset. Yeah, It was, it just consumed me and it felt like such deprivation mm -hmm. that um, it felt like I was a victim. It felt like, you know, I, I say this often, it felt like I lost my seat at the adulting table and I was now stuck at the kids table for the rest of my life. And um, it felt wildly unfair uh, that other people got to have this experience and I wasn't capable. Like I just, I wasn't capable of being the bigger person. And of course now I see it totally different. You know, I, I see alcohol as a toxin. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that I don't drink, um, for multiple reasons. Uh, and I'm also very grateful. I get to show my children that, um, you know, in a, in a society where alcohol is the norm, you don't have to do it. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like there's so many layers of things I've learned since I quit, but that was not my mindset early on. Um, I think what shifted for me was my first experience where sobriety, uh, was a huge motivating factor, uh, for who I was. My son, you know, was in preschool at the time at a private school where they were, um, he was having a lot of difficulties, a lot of behavior issues. The school was sending him to the principal's office all the time. And we were really concerned. So we didn't know where this was coming from. We didn't know why, uh, was this a neurological issue or was this, um, just shitty parenting for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah. And, um, we had gone to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, he's, I think he was only three at the time. He's only three. There's nothing we can really do at this point. But, um, I will tell you children like this generally, uh, respond well to routine and structure and consistency. And I remember that was one of my, uh, clarifying moments. Cause I felt like my drinking was giving him the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. 
in, in our day to day. Um, so I quit drinking not too long after that. Um, and that was one of the convincing moments I had. So then about spring of that year, like four or five months later, the school, uh, where my son was going, they called me in the principal called me in. We had no idea why or what for me and my husband are at the, in this boardroom with the principal and my son's teachers, two teachers. And then my youngest, who was one at the time, uh, his two teachers. And we got the most heartbreaking shame session. I think I've ever experienced in my life, parenting or not. Um, where, you know, they, they just dragged us for my oldest behavior for coming to school. Sometimes he had food on his face. You know, he's three fucking yeah. years old. I have a four language. I, I see him. Yes. Yes. They said, you know, at one point he had marker scribblings on his arm for more than a week. And I was like, it was a permanent marker. He got his hands on a permanent marker. Why yeah. didn't anyone just ask me this instead right. of, clearly just writing a list Jeez. and that was about five months into my sobriety. And I remember thinking, thank God oh. I am sober because oh otherwise God. I would have went home that day and said, this is all my fault. I'm the worst mom on earth. And I knew that this was unfounded. Yes. This was uncalled for. This was the I worst see. shaming. And if you were um, drinking, you'd be like, I, well, maybe I what like, you knew maybe it's me. Exactly. exactly. Wow. And that gave me such clarity that I was doing the right thing because the mom guilt that I fed myself through my drinking just made things so much worse. And you know, you know, alcohol is a depressant. No. It's not going to make anything feel better uh, mentally, especially for someone like me who struggles with anxiety and depression. Like us, and, we're, we're the same, remember? Yeah, we're the same person. Okay. <laughs> I also struggle with anxiety. Oh my gosh, yes. And I learned from you that if you take something daily like I do, the alcohol mixing with that is making it not even work. Right. It's ineffective for many of our uh, antidepressants, uh, which I did not know me for either. the majority of my time taking an antidepressant. Um, or anti-anxiety meds. So yeah, there's so many things that I, I got clarity on through my sobriety. And what I would just say is, you know, looking back, I would have done those early days sober very differently, but, uh, how would you do it? <laughs> yeah. For, if for I were to do it like differently, me. totally. How, um, how would I do it? What I always say is I would have found an accountability partner, somebody I could trust and tell my plans or my goals without judgment. If I fell without, um, making me feel the need to explain myself or defend myself or why I want to try this, mm -hmm. um, as somebody who felt safe. Uh, so an accountability partner, I would find a community. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think before sober mom squad, I felt like AA was my only option. And I, I didn't, believe I was an alcoholic. I still am not really sure what an alcoholic yeah. means. Right. Um, so that did not feel like the right place for me. Uh, but now, you know, besides sober mom squad, there's tons of other groups you can go to, uh, where you can connect with other women who also are questioning their drinking 
And um, so I would find that because there is something extremely powerful in community and connection. That's what I want, a sober, curious community. I assumed Sober Mom Squad is not going to let me in there because I'm not a sober mom. Is that correct? (laughs) No, that's not correct. Um, What what Sober Mom Squad says is anybody living or exploring an alcohol-free lifestyle. So we have a lot of people who are interested in alcohol-free living, but they haven't gotten there yet. So uh, it is something I would encourage anyone to do. And we do have, I I lead the free meetings uh, every Wednesday. Um, So you should just pop on. I will. I just, I'm scared. It resonates. I'm even going to say it because I think it's Sober Mom Tribe that this lady was like, do not tag us in anything else. Just because you're not sober does not mean you should make other people. I was like, mm-hmm. I tagged them in something. And now I see, maybe they just didn't read the, the post. They just see squats and margaritas and they're like, get out of here. And it was like saying, I can't be, I don't want to be sober because of my eating disorder past and have it off limits. So I, if I know I can have it, that's how I kind of look at it. I'm so, mm-hmm. I feel so much better. I've, I drink like a glass of wine now, you know, I, that's it. And it was like this, so I tagged them and they were, I, they blocked me. They were like, I'm don't sorry. ever tag us. And, and I'm like, no, no, no. I was like, I'm saying how good I feel not drinking. Like what? And I was, I took it. So I was, oh, so yeah, I'm glad you're not sober mom. Try. <laughs> it's fine. We um, can talk more about this offline. Yeah. I have stories for you. So perfect. Well, so don't... I want to be a part of that. And then yeah. you just made me think it's the pros and cons. Like as a mom, the energy drain is like the last thing that we need. But I, and I think a lot of women are programmed that the wine will make it easier. It's like, if I just have a glass of wine, I can handle this better, but you're making yourself more tired. As Annie Grace taught us, the buzz lasts for 20 minutes. And then it's just making you want, it's creating something that makes you want the second one. I don't know why that doesn't happen to me. I will feel like I was not deprived if I have a glass of wine, but I don't drink wine at night because I won't do anything that F's up my sleep. Sleep is my favorite. Mm-hmm. So I'll have a glass of wine with my meal. And before I, then I would admittedly have another glass of wine before bed. It was like the thing you look forward to. I don't do that anymore. And I feel, I sleep better. I, there is no better. I was just having this conversation um, last week. and with another mom that was kind of like, I'm trying. I said, we both admit there's nothing better than waking up and feeling completely mm-hmm. clear. Not that you weren't, I wasn't waking up hungover. Like I can't relate to that, but just, you just don't feel your best. Like you feel like just yeah. a little and to not have that. Like I'm like going to get my kids up and I feel that nothing is better than that. But in the same breath, I still drink on occasion. So it's like, how do I not see that the benefit is not anywhere near like the cost I know, but it's like, I think it's like you said, it's that deprivate. I can't, mm-hmm. and once I have it, I'm like, okay, it's fine. And I, it doesn't lead to a second for me. So I'm lucky, but at one Which point, is huge. like at what point will it not, like Annie says it's an addiction and it's going to build up your tolerance and you're going to have to have a second one. I mean, I'm 41. I, it hasn't, I don't know. But I, I would love to not even think about it because I still have the, oh, you still had another glass of like you almost made it through mm-hmm. the whole day and you had that glass of wine. It's not making me hungover, but why can't I just dry January it? <laughs> I can't. Yeah, just I can't. Uh, and I think Annie Grace calls it, what does she call it? She calls it spontaneous sobriety, where you're just like, boom, you're done. <laughs> I'll happen. figure out how to do it as I as I go along. And I think that's how I did it. And you'll, you'll, you'll get there when you get there. Right. But I think adding or shaming yourself for where you are now is not helping, especially, you know, given our histories, you know, um, 
And we know, we know that we know that somebody saying you can't do this does not help us. No. Um, that's not our, uh, <laughs> our mindset. Are you the first I love one? I'm, I'm not, I'm the middle okay. child. Okay. That's how um, you have it going. <laughs> that's it. Okay. All right. So we are not the same person anymore. Damn it. <laughs> not completely. You know, it's funny because my sister is the oldest and she has never had a sip of alcohol her entire life. That was her response to my father's addiction. And of course, mm -hmm. I went the complete opposite. I was like, I'm going to figure out how to do this thing. Uh, you can't tell me I can't have it. I'm, yeah. Yep. I know. It was very opposite mindset. Like, um, my father does not define me like this. This is my that. life. I get so. that. I know a lot of moms that, that have started drink a lot more when they became a mom and mommy wine yeah. culture. Can you share the story of when you went to your OB after you had a baby and told her you were struggling and what she said? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, after my first was born, um, about two weeks in, you know, I knew something was wrong. Um, I was having intrusive thoughts. Uh, I was, I was feeling depression coming on. I knew like something was wrong. So I called my OB and I just said, I've just got very vulnerable with her. I said, I'm struggling. I don't feel like, uh, this is the way I, I need to be feeling right now while taking care of a, a brand new baby. Uh, what can I do? And she responded, unless you're having intrusive thoughts of hurting your child or yourself, you're going to be just fine. Now, if you're having intrusive thoughts of hurting yourself or your child, you need to go to the mental institution. And those were my two options. Wow. And so I hung up the, or, you know, I downplayed it. I'm like, Oh no, I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And I remember thinking, okay, don't tell anyone the truth ever again. Right. right. <laughs> or they might take away your baby. You know, like that was yes. the, uh, thought process I went through after that. Um, like nobody is, nobody wants to hear that you are struggling in motherhood. And um, I felt that, you know, time and time again. And, you know, this is something I talk about um, a lot in, on, in my writing is that, you know, mommy wine culture really plays off this. If mom is struggling, she can figure it out herself. If mom is struggling, it's nothing a wine, a glass of wine can't fix. Yep. And that's, that really is gaslighting. I think the tremendous struggles mothers do have. You know, nothing we are struggling with when it comes to the mental load of motherhood, when it comes to um, how the eight to five corporate structure is set up uh, to not be conducive to working moms. Nothing about that is something a glass of wine can fix. And yet that is the narrative we play into with mommy wine culture, because it's easier than saying, no, we need to make some major societal changes. We need to have paid leave for new, for new mothers. It needs to be federal policy. We're one of the only countries on earth that does not require paid leave for, for uh, mater uh, maternal leave. Mm -hmm. um, and it's things like that that just really gets my blood boiling. Cause I get it, yeah. These are all the reasons why I feel like a lot of women do wind up turning into alcohol because it keeps us quiet and appeased um, and it subdues us literally 
for not getting pissed off that this mm-hmm. is where we're at. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Numb it's like, out. yeah, like that's you what out. you want to be. Like that's so you don't speak up desired outcome. Like we just want to be numb. We don't want to speak right. up. We just want to be, yeah. It's like a rebellion to not drink and be like, is that where the ultimate mom challenge come from? So this was pre sobriety. Actually, there is a connection to sobriety uh, that I did not realize till after, but I did this one year challenge where every month I was going to do something or work on something to be a better mom. So one year I focused on being fit. One year I focused on being, um, budget friendly, budget conscious one year, sorry, one month, one month I focused on, uh, being more, uh, green going green, uh, with being like a hippie mom. Yeah. Um, one, one month I focused on being vegan. So each month I tried something different, being mindful, you know, I did 12 different themes all in an effort for what I can do to be a better mom. And then, you know, the next year I quit drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I just thought I was like the ultimate mom challenge is not drinking while you're a mom. And, you know, obviously (laughs) what the ultimate mom challenge is now is what do we need to do? Uh, to feel empowered in motherhood. And that's how I define it now. But the way it started was obviously a very different endeavor. And it led me down a path I never would have expected. It sure did. Um, Your husband still drinks. How does that? Yes. How does that work? (laughs) More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Now back to squats and margaritas. You know, it's an interesting dynamic because for many of us, this is a conversation we have in Sober Mom Squad all the time because a lot of us are trying to quit while our partners still actively drink mm-hmm. and either are happy that their partner is quitting or unhappy that their partner is quitting. They lose their drinking um, buddy. Yeah. And a lot of them fell in love um, at, with a drinking buddy. Like yeah. that's, that's really like, it's this romantic uh, partnership that was based and defined off drinking. And all of a sudden um, one person decides to make a radical change and it's yeah. not always met uh, with pleasure or happiness. And it right. is, you know, it's, it's a conversation that I have to have with my husband quite a bit because even though he supports me and my sobriety, he never really saw it as a problem. And he does feel like it uh, holds me back from the party girl that maybe he fell in love with. Uh, So, you know, it's a working uh, evolution in our relationship. But the other thing I remind myself is if I was still drinking, um, we would not be in any better of a place than we are now. In fact, you know, all I was doing was sabotaging uh, relationships through my um, high risk drinking. So, you know, I think you can look at it a couple different ways when you have a partner who doesn't necessarily agree with your lifestyle or choice, but uh, you do have to play that tape forward. Like where would I be in my drinking if I was still doing it and how, healthy would that be in any relationship? Um, and I know for me, I'm in a better place being sober with a partner who drinks than I would be if I was, uh, still drinking a bottle of wine a night, starting to get more secretive about it because yes, you can't put seven bottles of wine in, in your trash. recycling bin. No, and your it. husband's like, yeah, I didn't drink any of that. So you have to start, I started getting very, um, secretive with my drinking to avoid 
him noticing the extent of it. Um, and of course he didn't see or know any of that. Um, and I, um, I didn't tell him, um, until after I quit. Wow. And it's not just like your husband, I'm going to Nashville in a couple of weeks with a group of girlfriends who I used to drink. I don't even know how to explain it normally, regularly, not really binge drinking, but drink more last time I was out with them. And so it's like, we're going to Nashville and they're like, are you doing like you're sober? Like they don't like it. They're like, are you like, I'm not going to be fun. Like, did you get met with kind of like, Oh, like that sucks. Like they they don't want me to do that. And it's like, do they look at you? Like you're, do you think you're better than them? Cause you don't drink alcohol and they do like, I'm, I have all these thoughts now that I'm Mm -hmm. living this way and about to go out with them. You know, what I say is that, um, sobriety or, you know, for you, it'd be sober curiosity is one of the best friendship filters I've ever found because, mm. um, you, you see who just liked you cause they wanted a drinking buddy versus who just liked you. Um, right. and so, yeah, I, I mean, for me, I definitely lost friendships to my sobriety, but it's nothing that I miss. None of the friendships are friendships that I genuinely miss. And I'll say 80% of the friends I had, it didn't change anything. Like they, they, and they honestly, they weren't drinking as much as I thought they were. (laughs) I, once I took my beer goggles off, I realized most people weren't drinking all that much. It was just me. (laughs) Were you the drink pusher? Like you realize that you were the one being like, let's go get cocktails. Yeah, I think so. I definitely was in my marriage. Um, and with friendships, I was either a drink pusher or, um, I was secretive and I'd have a drink or two before I met up with people. Yeah, right. Um, or I hung out with people just who drank just like I did. Same. So right. it was unnoticeable. Yeah. I see too. Like there's so many people that I think of when we're having this conversation and a lot of them will do like a dry January or something. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand it. It's not setting them up for sobriety. It's like, I'm not going to drink for Jan- during January. And then February 1st, I will binge drink again. And I don't understand the thought process of like, what is the point just to show that you can't, but 11 months out of the to year, prove to yourself, you yeah. binge drink every day. And it's almost like it could set you up. Like it would be easier to stop drinking because you haven't for 30 days and your body's not craving as much, but it's, it's just dry January for the hell of it. Just because that's what we do during January. And then we go right back to, but then it's like, I'm always have shame. It's like, did you do dry January? No, I have a glass of wine every night. It's like, Oh, well I haven't had a drink in 30 days, but yeah, but tomorrow you're going to have nine drinks. Like (laughs) I'm like, I don't, I can't, I know I can't do dry January, but it's like in Nashville. I know that I will have a nice glass of wine when we got to dinner or like, I'll have a beer at a bar, but I know what I'm going to be. I don't want to say up against surrounded by, and I don't have any desire to do that. Well, and plus you see how people act (laughs) after four or five drinks and that's not very satisfying Mm -hmm. or fun to be around either. So I think, interesting. (laughs) you know, it, it does kind of show you a different side that you don't notice when you are one of you know, exactly. the, the people who are, are heavily inebriated. <laughs> exactly. It's, it'll be interesting. This has been everything that I hoped it would be. Can you talk about your book? I know that it's coming out in September, but it's available for pre-order now. Okay. Yeah, it's on Amazon now. It's called, it's not about the wine and it, it's the loaded truth behind mommy wine culture. We talk about a lot of what we talked about here. Um, I talk about, you know, the challenges 
I've, I've had in my own, uh, drinking past, but I talk a lot about, um, culturally and societally why mommy wine culture, uh, became so popular, um, about the mental load of motherhood, why mothers are drinking more than ever, why the pandemic, uh, led to increased drinking for women and then, um, how to get out of it, um, and how to kind of break free from not just an alcohol, uh, if you're struggling with alcohol, but the mental load, uh, finding friends, uh, having the hard conversations in marriage, you know, all the things that I feel like you don't get in the baby books that I could have used. Amazing. (laughs) Mental health and anxiety, you know, um, women are much more inclined to struggle with anxiety and depression. And, uh, I can look at that now and be like, well, duh, you know, there's so much we've got going up against us, but you don't, I, I, I was just completely not prepared when I became a mother. Mm-hmm. And I hope that this can help other women who do find themselves overwhelmed and, um, looking for another way. It will. And on Instagram, you're the ultimate mom challenge. Can you talk about sober mom squad and how people can join that? You said Wednesdays you do. Yeah. Every Wednesday, 10 AM Pacific, we do a weekly free meeting. I lead it and, um, you can pop on there. You can keep your video off. You can change your name. You can be as anonymous as you want to be. You don't have to talk. You can just listen. Mm. And, um, there's like between 60 and 70 women on there. Um, and it's an opportunity for women to share or ask questions or, um, vent. I mean, you, Mm -hmm. and you have women on there who are sober curious on day one or 20 years sober. I mean, it's, it's a full gamut of, um, but the only requirement is you have to identify as a mother and be, uh, living or exploring an alcohol-free life. And that's it. Um, so sobermomsquad.com we're on Instagram at sober mom squad or TikTok. I run the TikTok, So it's just me <laughs> okay. doing my, you. my, um, my very dark humor, which I feel like works for some people and really doesn't work for other people. You find who your people are <laughs> when you exactly. put yourself out there really organically. It's like people love it or they unfollow. <laughs> for better or worse. Exactly. Uh, let's just end it with if someone is kind of curious after hearing our conversation today, like what would you tell them like first step, like I just try this or start with this to explore their sober curious lifestyle? I always tell people the the first book that really made it click for me was The Snake in Mine by Annie Grace. That really was the uh, the one that fully changed um, my thought that I was um, experiencing deprivation to feeling like maybe I'm on, maybe I'm doing this right. Yes. Um. So that's that's what I always recommend that to anybody. I also if you're recommend thinking about it. it. I talked to Annie for an hour um, on Squats and Margarita's podcast. We had a very candid conversation. I asked her to be very honest with me, and she was. Celeste, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margarita's podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margarita's. Monday.